So we are on uh, lesson 16, which would be page 90 in your workbooks. On uh, this Lord's Day, we will be discussing the Christian and secret societies. Uh, so the, the interaction or the relationship between uh, Christians and secret societies, whether or not uh, membership in secret societies is permissible. Um, so we will look at this from a biblical perspective. Uh, Christian, would you open us in prayer? Sure. Sure. Um, Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity for us to come together on Lord's Day and to give you glory, honor, and praise. And we just uh, thank you for bringing us here safely you and to um, have fellowship and to always to and that we keep in mind uh, during these troubling times to submit to your way and to submit to your word for things are becoming more difficult for us to things are becoming more difficult and becoming uh, experiencing more pressure Lord so I just pray that the church it's still always about your business as well as reaching out to one another um, and staying together for what is right. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so when we, when we come to consider this topic, and, and honestly, this is a topic that a lot of people, a lot of Christians don't even take the time to consider it, it never really even crosses their mind um, you know when we when we think of secret societies uh, what are we talking about some someone give me a, an example of a secret society the yeah the Freemasons <laughs> No. Uh, yeah. So. Um. Look and see if Brooks is over there with her stuff. Okay. Um. So. When we're talking about secret societies, what most people tend to think about is uh, the Freemasons. That is probably the most popular uh, secret society. And if you ask a Freemason if they're a secret society, they'll tell you, no, we're a society with secrets. Um, which, tomato, tomato. Um, but what we're talking about is... Uh, these societies with secret aspects to them that require of their members uh, a form of secrecy. Um, so the Masons, the Shriners, uh, which that's, that's one that you may not think of as a secret society, but they are. They're the guys who have the hospitals everywhere that, that do the children's cancer research, the Shriners are, are very big in, in that kind of stuff, but they are a branch of the Freemasons. Uh, 
and they are a secret society as well. Um, other secret societies would be something like the Skull and Bones from Yale University, uh, this organization that, that's very secretive. And I would actually argue, um, and some people may not agree, but I don't see how logically you can avoid this. I would argue that any fraternity or sorority, any, any Greek uh, organization on university campuses would be secret societies as well. Because they all have their own rituals, their own secrets that you're not allowed to bring out into the light. You're not allowed to expose. Um, you're all, uh, any, anyone who joins those uh, organizations, they are sworn to secrecy on certain things. Um, I have friends who were, um, who were fraternity members and I talk to them about their time in their fraternities and there are times where they'll say, yeah, I can't really talk about that. Like even now, 15, 20 years later, they still won't talk about it because they were sworn to secrecy. And so when we're talking about secret societies, it's not those societies that no one really knows about that are kind of hidden in the shadows. It's societies that require a level of secrecy from their members, that require you to swear an oath of secrecy. Um, so that's what we're talking about here. And so the question is, how is the Christian to relate uh, with secret societies? Is it permissible for a Christian to be engaged in secret societies? Well, when we begin to think about secret societies, we have to see what Scripture says concerning these things, and specifically what does Scripture say concerning secrecy and openness. And we see in John chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple whether the Jews always resort and in secret, I have said nothing. So the way that Jesus talks about how he uh, spoke to the world is he says that he spake openly. Now, does that sound like he was secretive? Obviously not. And he says that in secret, he did nothing. He said nothing. So everything that Jesus said was open and public and out for all to see, and he did nothing secretly. Now, this verse right here, uh, I'm going to kind of go off a little bit. This verse right here really uh, is the dagger to the heart of those Gnostic Gospels that, that people try to insist give us a better uh, understanding and more teaching from Jesus. Because he says he didn't teach anything in secret. Everything that he taught is out public and it's in the open. There's not some secret knowledge of Jesus that you have to search out. It's all given to you right here in scriptures because he spake openly to the world. In secret, he said nothing. So when we're thinking about secret societies, do secret religious rituals such as those by 
the lodges, uh, like Masonic lodges, elk lodges, moose lodges, do the secret religious rituals such as those used by the lodges follow Jesus' pattern of an open life and clear teaching? Absolutely not. Do we, do we ever get a hint of Jesus uh, performing any kind of secretive religious rituals? No. Everything he did was open. It was out in the public. It was for all to see. It was, it was for all to critique. You know, why, were the, why were the Pharisees able to criticize Jesus for what he did? Because they saw what he did. Because he did it publicly. Uh, things that are done in secret are veiled from criticism. Uh, and that's not a good thing. You, you want your actions, your life, what you say, what you do, all to be uh, under the scrutinizing eye of the public. So that you can live above reproach. Um, and so we see that the secrecy that is required of, um, of members within secret societies, within lodges, is counter to what Christ actually exhibited. Uh, it's counter to what uh, Christ said he did. Now, when we're talking about these lodges and these secret societies, one thing we have to consider is what's called forswearing. Uh, what is forswearing? Is that the idea that you're going to swear to something, but you're not sure exactly what, you're, what the terms of the oath are? Yes. So you are swearing something but you do not know what exactly you are swearing to. So one of the things that's required in these secret societies is swearing to maintain the secrets of the organization. Well, what happens when the secrets of the organization involve criminal activities? Well, now you've forsworn yourself to keep those things secret. And so what you're doing is you are, you are binding yourself to sin. Because if something needs to be brought to the light, if something legally, morally has to be exposed, but you've forsworn yourself... You're either going to sin by keeping it hidden and secret, or you're going to sin by violating your oath and bringing it to the light. For swearing is, is, is a very dangerous thing. It's a very heinous thing. Um, we, see, we see for swearing forbidden in Scripture, Leviticus chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. Or if a soul swear, pronouncing with his lips to do evil or to do good, whatsoever it be that a man shall pronounce with an oath, 
and it be hid from him, when he knoweth of it, then he shall be guilty in one of these. And it shall be, when he shall be guilty in one of these things, that he shall confess that he hath, that he hath sinned in that thing. So we see that it is a man who, who swears with his lips to do these things. And in that swear of saying he's going to do these things, there is the implied, I'm going to do these things, whether they're right or wrong. Um, so he swears to do these things. He pronounces them with an oath, and it be hid from him. So that's saying he's swearing to do these things, but he doesn't even know what they are. And if he does them it, when he knows of it, then he is guilty of these things. You see that what we're talking about here in Leviticus chapter 5 is a forswearing. It is taking an oath without knowing what it is that you are swearing to keep. And that if you do that, you are guilty of the sins that are involved in that oath. No matter what, you are guilty of it. Someone read for me Matthew five thirty-three through 37. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Is that 38? Yeah, no, that's it. So here we have uh, Christ saying explicitly, Thou shalt not forswear thyself. And he says at the end of this passage that these things are evil. To do these things is evil. For swearing an oath is an evil practice. Now note that in this passage, Christ is not abrogating lawful oaths, uh, but is freeing it from false interpretations. Uh, if, we, uh, if we look at uh, G.I. Williamson's book, uh, his study guide on the Westminster Confession of Faith, he says one of these false interpretations of the Jews was that only some oaths were binding depending on what men swore by. Christ said that to the contrary, such distinctions were vain and iniquitous and that all oaths are binding. 
But more than that, he said that men's words ought to be true and binding even without oaths. Oaths that have come into use because men are liars. Now observe, Christ did not say that everything stronger than yea, yea is sinful. He only said that it comes from evil and that it is necessitated by the prevalence of untruthfulness. In the kingdom of God, which is to come, there will be no oaths, for all will speak the truth in utmost purity. Meanwhile, in this present evil world, falsehood remains so common that special solemn occasions may require oaths, and under proper circumstances, they may be made. Jesus himself took such oaths. So there are oaths that are lawful. Uh, oaths, vows, swearing, covenanting. There are reasons, there are times when these are necessary um, in order to publicly uh, affirm what you believe and what you are swearing to do. But what Christ is arguing against is this notion that uh, for swearing ought to be done. And that shows even more sincerity than if you just say yes. Um, he's arguing that these minced oaths, these oaths by yourself or by uh, other things uh, that they ought not be done. There is, there is simply an oath, a lawful oath, that is sworn with God as the witness. You don't swear by God because that is to take his name in vain. You, you swear the oath if it's lawful and God is the witness to the taking of that oath. Uh, so Christ is, is arguing against the perversions of lawful oath-taking, but he's very specifically also arguing against um, forswearing itself. So does, does a lodge have the right to ask its pr prospective members to swear to keep secrets of the order even before the individual taking the oath knows what the secrets are? No. No, they don't. Um, to ask this is to ask uh, their prospective members to forswear an oath, and it is sinful. It is evil. Uh, they come, it comes from evil. As, as Christ says. Uh, so let's look at the following statement, which is an oath that is to be taken by prospective Masons desiring to be an entered apprentice, which is the first degree of Masonry. And this oath says, binding myself under no less a penalty than that of having my throat cut from ear to ear my tongue torn out by its roots, 
and buried under the rough sands of the sea at low water mark, where the tide ebbs and flows twice in 24 hours, should I ever knowingly and willingly violate this my solemn oath obligation as an entered apprentice mason. So help me God and keep me steadfast in the due performance of the same. So as a Christian, hearing this oath that is sworn, what is your reaction to it? Cringe. Cringe. Yeah, I mean, it's taking the Lord's name upon your lips in in such a vile way, so it's definitely a uh, uh, an overt third commandment violation, but yeah, yeah, it, it's got a it's got a a criminal uh, element to it, uh, where where you it's almost as though they're being shaken down and 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 intimidated into secrecy that you know at the threat of of having my throat, of, of no less a penalty than that of having my throat cut ear to ear, my tongue uh, torn out by its roots and buried under rough sands of the sea. Like, no less a penalty than that. Uh, it's, it's very threatening. It's, in, it's intimidating. Uh, it's like shaking down. It's like a mob boss shaking down someone. Saying you you utter a word, then you're gonna sleep with the fishes. Uh, it's it's very. I don't see how anyone can take this kind of oath and say that they're a Christian. Uh, does this sound like something that a Christian would say? Absolutely not. I, it just blows my mind. And there are so many, there are so many people in churches who think there's nothing wrong with the Masons. I think that it's just some kind of gentleman's club or, or some kind of civic organization because they do do uh, philanthropic things. They donate a lot of money to different uh, organizations. But when you start getting into what the Mason, what Freemasonry actually is, you find that it is utterly demonic, utterly demonic. Um, so, one thing, one thing that people will say is that a Christian can be a Mason because Freemasonry is not a religious organization. So it's not a conflict there. It's just a, it's a civil organization. It's a civic organization. But when you start actually examining what these lodges do, what their rituals are, you find very quickly that they are a religious organization. Um, so we don't have time to examine all of the religious rituals and all of the different lodges, but we will take a look at masonry uh, because it is basically the parent of all of the other fraternal orders. 
what's said of Masons will apply to other organizations like Elks and Moose, uh, like uh, Shriners. So when we when we begin to see the lodge and its and its organization for what it really is, we see that it is very clearly portrayed as a religious institution, as a religious organization. Even though they don't say that they are, they very clearly give the appearance of religion in, in their uh, activity, in their buildings, in everything that they do. They call their meeting places temples. Uh, it's a Masonic temple. They have lodges, but within the lodges, there is what they call the temple. Certain officers are called titles that are belonging only to God, such as captain of the host and worshipful master. Captain of the host. Who is the captain of the host? Who are the hosts? The hosts are the angelic armies. Who is the captain of the angelic armies? It is Christ Jesus. What a wicked thing it is to call a man captain of the host. And who is our worshipful master? It is God alone. Can you imagine a Christian walking up to another man and calling him worshipful master? That is blasphemy. Outright blasphemy. It is wickedness. They have their own hymns praising masonry their own songs that they sing during their rituals, talking about the joys and the, and, the, and the blessings of being a Mason. Their rituals contain certain prescribed prayers. They have their own prayer book, if you will, of written prayers that they use during their ceremonies. It maintains a grand lodge above for faithful members. It teaches that when you leave this world and go to the next, if you are a faithful member of the Masonic Order, there is a grand lodge above, a grand lodge in heaven for the faithful members of the Masonic Order. It, how can you not see these things as utter blasphemies against our holy God? And then they make religious claims. Uh, here are some quotes from the leading Mason, Albert G. Mackey, in his book, Textbook for Masonic Jurisprudence. 
The truth is that masonry is undoubtedly a religious institution. Well, I mean, he just, he didn't hold anything back there. Freemasonry is that natural religion in which all men agree. Look at its ancient landmarks, its sublime ceremonies, its profound symbols and allegories, all teaching religious truth. And who can deny that it is eminently a religious institution? And they have their own doctrines as well. Uh, and we'll compare those with Scripture. Uh, so, someone read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. So that is what Scripture says concerning salvation. But what the Masons say is that each man, by, each man can by himself work out his own conception of God and thereby achieve salvation. They teach that through the fellowship of moral disciples, Masons are taught to qualify for the fellowship of eternal life. Absolutely contrary to what Scripture teaches. Someone read John fourteen six. So that's what Scripture says concerning Christ. But what the Masons teach is, I boldly aver that Freemasonry is a religion, yet in no way conflicts with any other religions unless that religion holds that no one outside its portals can be saved. Jesus says that only through me can you be saved. The Masons are saying... Freemasonry is only contradictory to a religion that says no one outside of its portals can be saved. The Masons themselves are saying that it's contradictory to Christianity. They teach, so broad is the religion of Masonry and so carefully are all sectarian tenets excluded from the system that the Christian, the Jew, and the Mohammedan in all their numberless sects and divisions, may and do harmoniously combine the worshiper of deity under every form. Someone read Matthew twenty-two twenty-nine. Jesus answered and said unto them, You do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. 
right? And also someone reads 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So there we see our understanding of scripture. What do the Masons teach? The Jews, the Chinese, the Turks, each reject either the New Testament or the Old or both. And yet we see no good reason why we should not be made, why they should not be made Masons. The Bible is an indispensable part of the furniture of the Christian lodge only because it is the sacred book of the Christian religion. The Hebrew Pentateuch in a Hebrew lodge and the Quran in a Mohammedan one along with, belong on the altar. And one of these, in the square and compass, properly understood are the great lights by which a mason must walk and work. They view all texts, all religious texts, equal. Because they view all religions equal. And then 1 John 1.8 1 John 1 8 says, Oh, go ahead. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And yet the Masons teach a Mason by living in strict accord with his obligations is free from sin. Everything that the Masons teach is contrary to the Word of God. And it is blasphemous. So let's now look at some of the historical background of Masonry. Uh, they, they teach that uh, their lineage goes back to Solomon's temple and the rebuilding of it, but there is no factual evidence that Solomon's temple was built by Freemasons. Uh, the Freemasons actually began as a secret labor union in the late Middle Ages. Unions were against the law, but the stonemasons devised a system of secret signs and grips, which served like today's union card and bound them together in a common organization. It started out as a labor union. By 1600, Honorary or non-working Masons were accepted into these societies, which had become fraternal groups as the government loosed its restrictions against unionism. Masonry began to form into local lodges called either operative, uh, the members were actual stonemasons, or speculative, the members were honorary Masons. By 1717, the four speculative lodges in London formed the first Grand Lodge of Freemasons. 
the first book of constitutions containing the rules of membership and the prescribed ritual were drawn up in 1723 by James Anderson, who was a Scottish Presbyterian minister. 1723. Eighty years after the convening of the Westminster Assembly, a Scottish Presbyterian is essentially founding what Freemasonry was going to end up becoming. How quickly we can fall from such heights to such depths. At the present time, Masonic membership totals in the hundreds of thousands. I guarantee you, you go anywhere on any given day and you're going to see a car with a sticker, a license plate, a man with a ring, necklace, a hat. You're going to see something that has the Masonic emblem on it. In the U.S. today, there are over 800 other oath-bound secret societies besides Masonry. Masons are just the biggest. And the church has historically been opposed to secret societies. Although Masonry has been considered by some to be called a Protestant movement, many Christian churches have opposed Masonry as a factor that weakens an individual's loyalty to Christ and to the church. I'm going to go a step further and say it's not that it weakens an individual's loyalty to Christ and the church. I'm going to say that it shows you have no loyalty to Christ and the church. Look at the things that are taught in masonry and tell me you can be a Christian and hold to those things. No. At one time, a number of major denominations forbade membership to those who belonged to lodges. And yet, a trend towards liberalism in these churches uh, removed this restriction. Uh, every uh, Presbyterian denomination used to uh, forbid Masons in membership. And now... Um, the PCA is soft on it. Uh, they, don't, they don't really have an official position. Uh, the PCUSA, obviously, they'll, they'll accept anyone into membership. They don't care. The RPCNA still forbids it. You cannot be a member of a secret society and a member of this church. And if it is found out that you are a member of a secret society and a member of this church, you will be disciplined. There are at least 20 other denominations in the U.S., who still regard lodge membership as a reason for a person's not being received into membership in the church. Uh, 
Among these denominations are, surprisingly, Wesleyan Methodists, Free Methodists, Mennonites, the Christian Reformed Church, uh, the Missouri Synod Lutheran Church, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and the RPCNA. So, this is why we as a denomination do not permit uh, membership in oath-bound societies uh, or what we call what what is more commonly called secret societies Um, and that to do so is to place yourself outside of your profession of faith because you have to uphold in so many of these societies you have to you have to swear to uphold their doctrines, their teachings, which are very clearly, according to the Masons, contrary to Christianity. Um, But even more than that, just the fact that you would be required to forswear an oath to keep secret something that you don't know what that secret is, that is cause enough not to become part of those organizations. That's why I say that even Greek societies on college campuses, fraternities, sororities, that even those are oath-bound societies, secret societies, which the Christian ought not be part of. Because they, they require you to foresource secrecy when Scripture very clearly teaches openness, having all things brought into the light, and that nothing be done in secret. Um, Yeah, uh, so I mean, you are you are yoking yourself to an organization that is very clearly antichrist, um, not of the antichrist, but it is antichrist, and to bind yourself to that organization is to be unequally yoked. Any other comments? Um, Brian, can you can you grab the the Telugu stuff off of the back table and go outside and give that to him? Because I think he may have just walked out. It should be right there in front of the window. All right. Any other questions, comments? Okay. Matt, can you close us in prayer?